Hey everybody, it's James Tiley and Johnny Fry for Digital Bytes, the Team Blockchain Podcast. The year's starting to wrap up, huh? It's a whole new... It got cold here for this October 5th edition. I'm in the south of the United States. Not supposed to get cold, but I'm freezing. <laughs> well, we've got... We, our, sun, our summer's gone, um, as you Americans would call it. We're in fall. Um, autumn. We say autumn. Autumn. Getting chilly. Soon be lighting the fire and, um, you know, getting the chestnuts out. Yeah, so we have, um, in November, we have, well, first we have Halloween coming up, right? So we, we get fat on candy. I just go mad over Halloween, don't you? You get just everywhere. I always go as we a patient. You decorate your houses, your cars, your faces. You're mad. I go as a patient and have my wife dress up as a nurse. Fits the bill. <laughs> Steady. Steady. Jeez, no, you're, you're meant to get dressed up as a wizard, but... You look a bit like um, a, the rock band wizard with your long hair these days, James. Right. I could pull that off. Um, I could pull off uh, Dr. Xavier. Dr. Xavier, a voice from the past. Right. But, I could pull that one off. But there you go. But back to more mundane matters, my dear friend. Digital Bytes. We've, um, we've actually been getting a few listeners' questions. So... Please keep them coming in, and next week we'll we'll tackle a couple of those questions. Um, and as some of you know, we've been working with the Mad Badger on the West Coast, and um, West loves East. Yeah. yeah, West loves East Radio. West loves East, and this week we did something with Groovy Goddesses with her. So looking forward to seeing how that turned out with the Badger. Um, so yeah, West loves East. It's a radio station based out of Seattle. So. Um, check it out. You might find it really interesting. But this week, James, we've um, we've got another whole series of different articles um, coming up after the break. We've got um, a couple of guys, um, Toby Lewis and David Henderson from MetaLink Capital, looking at managing digital assets and what are some of the challenges and some of the opportunities. But before we bring Toby and uh, hopefully David on 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 the show, we also looked at how will the metaverse impact e-commerce. Uh, fashion in the metaverse, which is becoming really, really big. And then how blockchain technology and digital assets will help the sports industry. Again, another big area, um, helping to sort of get the fans closer to their idols, to their sort of soccer players, rugby players, tennis players, NBA, etc. Um, also sort of helping around the sort of ticketing and fraud and bits and pieces. So um, if you're not already um, receiving this, we send it out every Wednesday. And all you've got to do is go to um, www.digitalbytes.substack.com. So that's digitalbytes.substack.com. And you can just sign up there and we'll send you a copy for you to receive. Um, no advertising, no recommendations, no advice. It's just sort of thought-provoking ideas and thoughts, looking at different jurisdictions, sort of how, where and why blockchain technology and digital assets are being used. And um, we'll send it over to you in your inbox every week, James. That sounds about as fun as e-commerce in the metaverse. <laughs> yeah, I know you didn't want to run that one, but you, you, you're, you're a bit of a fashion icon. Well, you certainly like your t-shirts, don't you? Yeah, I mean, if it's an ACDC shirt or Van Halen shirt, blue jeans and a leather jacket, I guess I'm a fashionista. <laughs> well, I came across this, um, this, this, uh, I don't know, this, this word, I suppose, called fidgetal. P-H-Y-G-I-T-L. And I thought that's what naughty little boys and girls did when they're meant to be listening to mum and dad. They fidgeted. 
And I thought it was something about fidgeting or something, but it turns out fidgetal is this, it's a new word. Um, and evidently fashion companies are becoming fidgetal, which basically means they're trying to integrate what they do um, in the sort of digital virtual world, which is, you know, part of that is obviously the metaverse and how they actually then integrate that with their sort of bricks and mortar stores and, and, and to some extent, you know, some of their online activities. So this is a, a new word, which seems to be having quite a big impact, given some of the numbers of the fashion industry, James. So are we talking, I guess we'll have to go through the article, but are we talking about brick and mortar with, you know, introducing the metaverse to them or the other way around? Um, it, it, you know, as, as they say, it can swing both ways. Um, but what's, what's in, interesting is that, um, you know, you, you've got, you'd think, you know, fashion metaverse, it's all a bit touchy feely, who really cares? Um, and then you've got come to like Morgan Stanley, the yes, investment bank saying that the metaverse could give the luxury fashion sector a, a 50 billion additional revenue in the next year, uh, the next 10 years. Um, and that's in, in addition to the sort of um, 26 billion for sort of luxury sort of NFTs. So all of this is sort of coming together and you're beginning to see how companies like Puma, Tommy Hilfiger, Gucci, Burberry, um, th they're all getting involved to a much greater extent um, in non-fungible tokens, the metaverse. And you're actually seeing new collections and virtual fashion shows being broadcasted um, on digital platforms. And, and this is where this whole thing, the term fidgetal, physical and digital, is now being used by marketeers to describe how that digital, that physical sort of marketing strategy is, is being combined. And what they're trying to do is to, you know, they're trying to get their customers to switch between different types of sort of um, marketing communications, either mobile phone, social media, email, and they, they want to make sure that they don't lose the customer. But you're also seeing these these floggers, so influencers. It might be the Kardashians or, you know, maybe someone like, um, you know, you might be familiar with David Beckham, the English footballer. And and they're, they're saying, oh, we really like this pair of sneakers or we're, look, we feel really cool in this shirt or something like that. And then suddenly you find that um, they're actually going out and buying their goods and services. And that's really what they're trying to trying to achieve. Because it was interesting, there's a business called Marketing Insider Group, and they reckon 86% of B2B buyers claim they were willing to pay more if they had an awesome experience. Um, and, you know, or over 50% said they would actually do a, an impulse purchase after a stellar experience. Now, your definition of awesome or stellar will be different from the next person, James, but... You know, you can either go and get a catalogue and, and flick through bits of paper or you can go online and it's all, yeah, OK, it's all, it's OK. Um, but once you start saying, OK, well, let's put you up there, James, as your avatar and you're now in your beach house party, like the Cyber.fm have got. And now let's put on a pair of um, earrings or let's put on a pair of, you know, diamond flip flops or let's put on that new you know, Van Halen T-shirt that you wanted, but you are actually going to choose the colours and it's going to be designed by some, you know, well-known brand. And you can now start seeing the experience. It relates more to what you're looking for and that's a better experience and therefore there's a better chance that you'll then go to the basket, click out and, and actually buy. And that, that's kind of what they're trying to get to. 
So I, I did buy a pair of sunglasses in in alt space VR in the metaverse. Uh because of the Cyber FM Beach House. So I did. I was at I was at a I was visiting an area and uh she had a sunglass thing in her in her store. And it was really kind of cool. You you picked them up, you put them on, you looked in the mirror that was on the wall, and you're like, Alright, I like this, this looks good. And then you uh you paid for them. That oh, I did do that. Well, there you go. So th- this is just that's just a classic example of you know, you know we've seen the French Fashion Week and Haute Couture Federation. You know they're they're actually going online and actually going to be holding um, holding it in a, in, a, in a virtual environment. You, you've got other people reckon that um, well, there's some there's an outfit called Report Linker, and they reckon the metaverse in the fashion market is poised to grow by. 36% compound annual growth between now and the next four years. So we're seeing some pretty interesting um, growth figures. But what I particularly like when we're looking into this sector is that you're probably familiar with the um, fashion magazine called Esquire. And Esquire um, was trying to explain the fashion industry's interest in the metaverse. And I, I love their quote, which is, if the metaverse is about being seen and it is about being seen, then fashion should be one of the killer apps. Because if you think about it, you're in the metaverse. How do you stand out? How do you, how are you seen? Well, you're, you're going to be seen if you're probably wearing or doing something which is a little bit wacky and you're going to attract people's attention. Well, if, if you're doing something wacky or you've got something which people want, it's a, it's a high fashion icon, high fashion item. Um, then that's going to attract people to potentially want to interact with you and maybe do business with you or maybe just hang out with you. So you can see, you know, why being seen um, actually is going to be a big thing in the metaverse. So, but but it's not just about what I call waffle. You know, we are seeing, um, you know, Gen Z millennials and Gen X consumers they're meant to be spending about five hours a day, according to McKinsey, in the metaverse. So if this is the case, they're not going to have a lot, lot of time to physically put on clothes and dress up and go out. So they're probably going to want to be happy spending money in the metaverse on their virtual wardrobe. So you begin to see why the fashion industry is taking this whole thing much, much more seriously. And no surprise, you know, you're looking at um, companies having generated already tens of millions of of revenue um, in the metaverse and NFTs, non-fungible tokens, are very often the mechanism they're using to actually do that. I'm going to have to get a virtual personal shopper. I, <laughs> I bet you, I bet you, like worldwide famous type personal shoppers could make themselves available in the metaverse and be like, "Hey, I'll help outfit you." There's, there's a whole Quite career enough. there. Well, I think as I was telling you. Um, I was at a wedding early this uh, in September in Cape Cod, and I bumped into a lady who is a declutterer, and she works in Hollywood, and she goes into sort of famous producers and film directors and you know movie stars and declutters their their lives, their wardrobes, their houses. So if you've got a declutterer in the physical world, why not have a, a virtual dresser in the actual world? I should have such problems. <laughs> but James, one of the other articles we wrote about was how blockchain and digital assets impacting the sports market. 
All right. Let's talk about sports. Sports well, is a so big the- deal. In America, uh, yeah, you cover it right here. You know, ticketing, rights to broadcasting, or the NFL is almost... They, they, I, I don't know what the... I, I want to watch my words, but do not illegally broadcast an NFL game. Just don't do it. You have a no. better chance at... Remember the VHS warnings when you when you rented a movie? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you have a better chance of getting away with that, uh, as we all did growing up in the 80s. Do not, man. If it was a football game, they were hunting you down. I can Big only money. imagine what blockchain would do for for transparency of rebroadcasting. Well, you, absolutely. You, you, if it's on the blockchain and you'll you'll get caught, then you're you know you're bang to rights, as they say. But one of the things that we we came across was um, a, a he's quite a well known um, soccer player here in in Europe, a chap called uh, Kylian Mabib. Um, he plays for Paris Saint Germain, and um, he's a French French lad who also plays for the French football team. And he basically turned around and said, "I'm not prepared to have my photograph taken." I'm not prepared to endorse the French football. This is the French national football team because I don't want to be associated with online gambling and fast food. Okay. So he was, he knows the fact that obviously the French national football team and some of the venues and stadiums they'll be playing at um, as we come into the World Cup um, will be saturated with online gambling adverts and with fast food adverts. And he said, I'm not prepared to have my photograph taken in that environment. I want to protect my my rights. In this case, it was his image rights. And as a result of that, the French FA has agreed to review in review the situation and ensure that his um, request is seen to. Otherwise, they're going to be um, short of one of their key players in the up and coming World Cup. So it just goes to show exactly what you're saying there with the NFL. They're very, very strict in terms of who can screen because it's a lot of money involved. At an individual level, you're also seeing individual players saying, nope, I, I'm, I'm not for, not prepared for that to actually happen. But what's interesting is that, and we were mentioning non-fungible tokens a minute ago when it came to the metaverse, but what non-fungible tokens can do, they can effectively, if they're programmed correctly, for sports people. Um, so, you know, you let, let's say when, you know, years ago when, you know, blimey, years and years ago when England won the World Cup, World Cup back in 1966, I am going back a long, long time, you know, that winning goal, or you may remember there was a football match against Argentina and the England and uh, Maradona just lift his hand up and managed to deflect it over. And he wasn't a goalie over the goal. It was called the hand of hand of God. Well, that actual picture, that actual image would be worth a lot of money as an NFT. But every time it was then sold, the digital version was sold to someone else. In theory, the person that owned that digital right may have been a Getty photographer or it may be madonna himself because that's it was him that was doing it and every time that image is sold he would be able to generate or she would be able to generate a little bit of income so you're effectively turning your image rights as as a sports star into a royalty income very very similar as if it was a song or if it was a movie so it's the the digital assets are giving the sports um industry a number of different streams of income, not just one-off, but regular income, which is what every business wants. You know, if you can have repeat income when you're asleep in your bed, well, that's that's fantastic. And there's not many industries. Software's a bit like that. Asset management industry's a bit like that. Banking's like that. Not many industries whereby you get paid automatically 
just for having your product or service out there in the market. Kind of goes back to even fashion for a moment because in the sports industry, you know, your, your certificate of authenticity, if you buy like a, in, in, in America, we have like the New York Giants, right? The New York Jets. Yep. And if you buy a hat or any article of clothing or a, or a New York Nets basketball outfit, you, you want that certificate of authenticity that it's from them. It's very important yep. because, you know, in the urban streets of like New York, you can buy, you know, uh, knockoffs is the right word, I guess. Yep. Um, so it, it would not be authentic jerseys from the players or, you know, what represents the team. In sports, that's an entire industry right there. Well, it's, 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 a, it's a mass massive industry. And, you know, again, go back, um, depending on the listener, you know, if you, if you had a, um, a, basketball a baseball a football a rugby a tennis ticket um that was to see the final of your particular favorite star and it was in pristine condition you could sell that ticket for almost certainly more than the face value that you paid for it 10 20 30 years later that bit of ticket that bit of paper is actually potentially worth a lot of money. The trouble is, is that what you did, you stuck that ticket in your back pocket, you lost the ticket, it went in the laundry, whatever, whatever. And so, therefore, you can't sell it. But had you actually been issued that bit of um, that ticket in the digital format, it's preserved. And if that is the original ticket that had a QR code that scanned you into the football, rugby, tennis stadium, whatever it is, and you've got it there, someone says, that was the original ticket. And I'll potentially pay and buy that ticket off you because I always really wanted to see the last game Federer played, for example. You know, he had his last tennis game here in the UK a couple of weeks ago when he was sitting there holding Nadal's hand and crying away like a couple of babes because it was so emotional. And there's so many tennis people that would have loved to have actually been at that event. Or maybe the next best thing for them is to say, I've got some form of memorabilia about that event. So you can start seeing how digital assets are being increasingly used in the sports industry to add value to you know to our superstars that play whatever sport you're interested in you, it's it's applicable right across the sporting scene yeah i totally get that and that's uh i was re I'm, i was into anti-doping while you were talking uh because i am a wrestling guy and no, uh, you said you're a doping guy for a minute that you were how you can get caught right right so but but when you're into wrestling uh for example over here the world wrestling entertainment uh, which people like to argue whether or not it's a sport. It's a sport. It's entertainment sports, um, to be clear. But they do have a major problem with doping. Right. Uh, your favorite guy could be suspended. You know, they're, they're, they are transparent about it. So if you're a fan of, uh, I'm not going to name a name because I'd, I'd be wrong and get sued, but your favorite wrestler, you know, fails that drug test and they have to, they have to suspend him that can ruin uh, an entire event that's up and coming and planned. Well, potentially ruin a whole career. So if their doping um, records are held in a, in a very, very secure way, but very transparent way, again, using blockchain technology, it's just a, you know, that's super important for the wrestler and the promoters and the organizer of those events. So, yeah, so it's, um, it, it's, so it's interesting. You know, we get lots of people say, yeah, Johnny, I know, you know, you've been writing about this sort of stuff for five or six years now, but, you know, it's, how is it going to impact my life? Well, you know, it's the use of blockchain technology and digital, digital assets are 
slowly creeping into all of our lives. Um, and, you know, you've got to be careful. You know, this this week we've seen Kim Kardashian. She's had her um, tights wrapped or her, or her nails wrapped or whatever she did have wrapped. Um, got a pair fine because she was effectively endorsing, supporting. Um, she was accused of, you know, falling foul of security regulations. Um, we saw that with, um, I think it was Mike Tyson got involved in a similar story. But we've seen a number of different cases whereby, you know, sporting icons have, have or, or just well-known personalities have got involved in this area and actually stepped on the wrong side of the law. So this is something we need to be careful of. But overall, we're seeing um, more and more organisations. You know, the, the, probably the biggest organisation um, in America is the NBA. Over here in the UK, we've got the Premier League, I, the football or as, as you call it, soccer teams, you know, they've raised over 400 million pounds. Well, that's nearly 400 million dollars these days, but there you go. It's about 450 million dollars worth of NFTs have been sold by the Premier League. That's another whole chunk of cash for those poor footballers. You know, what will they do? Well, I suppose when, when their ashtrays are full in their, in their Bentleys, then they can afford to buy a new one if they've got that sort of money, James. I was thinking about even on the business side. So imagine... Uh, And this is true. We have the Super Bowl commercials, right? Companies pay $25 million for 30 seconds of of ad time. So Cyber FM could afford maybe on a good day or a good year, a small little banner on the wall of, say, the World Cup, right? A little Cyber FM logo only in the corner, only when the one side scores, you might catch your eye. I bet you using, uh, in the future, if we were to use blockchain technology, um, the stadium, or no, who's the Crypto.com? But the yep. Staples Arena over here, right? Crypto.com. So Staples why Arena. wouldn't they say, okay, well, CyberFM, you're going to have to go, you have to buy your location on the board, which is uh, this particular NFT. And, uh, you know, it's $800,000 for the day. And it's uh, going to be a 240 by 240 logo. And yeah. that would all be done on a blockchain. That would be only for that one sporting event. And uh, it would be a no-brainer for Crypto.com as well as CyberFM. is a real-world example for the, the e-commerce side of sports. and um, broadcast. I mean, you're covering broadcasting. You're covering the event. You're covering uh, a transaction for the company as a customer for crypto.com in this example. So, yeah, I get it. I'm in it. Well, well, James, you're right. You know, and if you look at the Super Bowl last year, you had um, eToro, FTX, Coinbase, crypto.com. They were all advertising. They were all advertising. There was more crypto in the Super Bowl than there was football. (laughs) (laughs) American football. Sorry. American football, yeah. You, you wear all those big pads and crash helmets. For goodness sake, you know, if you want to bash each other around, go and play rugby. Oh, I, I don't disagree with you. you. If you ever have time, <laughs> look up to George Carlin, who's a, an amazing comic for his time. He does a whole thing about baseball versus football, and it's wild. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, James, we better go, because I know we've got um, meddling capital waiting um, to come in after the break. Um, but don't forget, if you would like um, a copy of um, Digital Bytes, as I said before, we, we send it out every Wednesday um, in the morning London time. But you can get it by going on to www.digitalbytes.com.
www.substack.com and we'll make sure we get a copy to you. And inside there, you'll see um, lots of these articles. They all have hyperlinks, which means that um, some of the things we've been talking about today, some of the facts, some of the figures, some of the teams, um, some of the fashion houses, um, it'll be linked to their sites. It'll be linked to different publications. And we do that for verification purposes. So, you know, there's no fake news because we have to verify it because most of our customers are regulated asset managers, banks, insurance companies, accountants, lawyers, people like that. So they need to make sure that what we're telling them can be substantiated. So, um, yeah, we'll be back after the break, James, talking to Toby and uh, Metalink Capital. This is real-time music playing, cryptocurrency paying, free money radio. Hey, Johnny, I see you met up with David Henderson and Toby Lewis at Metalink Capital. Do I say that right? Is it Metalink because I'm an American? Or is it Metalink because they're, the, they're across my pond, right? Well, yeah, they're Metalink the Capital? Well, they're Metalink, Metalink Capital. And as you say, delighted today. Um, David, Toby, thanks for uh, coming on the show. And um, you've written an article, Managing Digital Assets, Opportunities and Challenges. So, um, you know, come on, the markets have been awful. Here we are, beginning of October. Equities are collapsing. Bonds are collapsing. Um, you know, is this the right time? You know, what, 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 what's going on? What, what encouraged you to write the article? Well, well, Johnny, obviously, um, we're, we're major um, sort of long-term bulls on, on the crypto and digital asset space. So I think sort of just looking historically, um, both, both Bitcoin, Ethereum, and many other digital assets have been some of the, the best returning assets or investments possible in the last, taking a sort of 12-year view. Um, however, Obviously, uh, at the same time, uh, crypto has been going through its own unraveling. As as as, but but I think in in a macroeconomic backdrop where you have supposedly some of the safest assets of the world, such as gilts, being hammered by forty five percent or so, um, it, I think I think people are almost going well. You you for for diversification and risk we would argue the intelligent investor should be thinking pretty hard about allocating to digital assets. Toby, I, you're, you know, you're, you're so right. I, as you know, I've been involved in financial services sector since the um, mid eighties. And I can absolute guarantee you that if you went and talked to a pensioner trustee, uh, they would be telling you that their low risk, cautious asset allocation is going to have 20, 30, 40% in fixed interest. I gilts. And, and they, for some reason, think that's a low risk investment. Yet in a period of rising interest rates, which we now find ourselves in, you're absolutely right again. You know, you're seeing the value of gilts fall substantially. But but come on, cryptos are pretty volatile. So is there is there so is it about diversification? Is that, that, is that why you're so, so keen on it? Well, I, th- I think it's it's more than that, right? Like it's it's a transformative technology which generally has uh, w- will outperform, right? Like like I'm sort of a a big believer in in decentralization and that as a means of how we interact and how we trade. If you think about it, so the the it, in a spectre at the moment, we're seeing a lot of concern around the balance sheets of once venerable institutions like uh, 
Credit Suisse and Deutsche Bank and, and, and many other major banks. Um, and I think sort of if you look at the history of crypto, right, the, the Bitcoin white paper was written in 2009 in the aftermath of the financial crisis. And in my lifetime, it feels like we're at the nearest point to that again, right? And at the same time, there's just this huge groundswell of people who are living full-time committed to the various different cryptocurrencies for lots of different reasons. And, and purely just because they're bringing new functionality to money. Okay. D D David, in your, in your article, you, you talk about there's different types of digital assets. Do, do you mind just walking us through how, how you see these different types and what, what, are, what are they, what are they and how, how they're typically used? Sure. Uh, thanks, Johnny. Um, yeah. The, um, the first and most well-known one, I think, would be a, a store of value or medium of exchange. Um, and, and we would take the view that you've kind of got this already from Bitcoin and Ethereum, just with those returns over several years. Um, but the, the extreme volatility in almost all crypto uh, invalidates this as a, you know, as a, a for some people, um, as a valid definition for, for these assets. Uh, but they still they still over time hold um hold value in in our view as the you know the returns show um i think we we put that in the article you can see the chart and the returns are spectacular um if the negative returns are also spectacular but over time it it does balance out um if we then move to stable coins you know we have to leave aside the ones which have been unstabled Let's just make up a word there. Um, that they that this is depegged. Yes, they've been unstabled by the market, which you know is going to happen. To, has happened to other institutions and uh, other things during a crisis. Um, it's the weakest link which gets broken. Um, but those stable coins, an essential part of any strategy, for allowing um, investors to move in and out extremely quickly and inexpensively into a, a, a more or less safe haven. Um, another asset, quickly, another asset uh, category would be NFTs, which, um, you know, are non-fungible tokens and are a really interesting, unique thing. Instead of being like money where one pound or one dollar is the same as any other dollar, the NFTs are are unique. Um, and lots of different things these can be tied to. And, and we're excited about it from membership point of view, entry to, to um, organizations, certificates of completion, as well as all the art purposes that you've seen with the uh, board apes and all the other things. But they are, they are an investment um, in their own terms, if you understand the collection and, and how to deal with it. Um, well, and I think David, we, that's really important yeah. because they, they, they potentially are very uncorrelated with normal traditional equities, bonds, property, commodities, the, these non-fungible tokens then. Well, yeah, I, I think one of the debates Toby and I always had during the bull market of NFTs and crypto in general was what does a liquidity crisis look like in the NFT market? And rather than you being able to sell your token, um, along with everyone else's token at the same time rushing for the door. It's more like, I think, um, it's more like a housing market 
where basically you just can't sell your house. So nothing happens. You get to stay in it unless you've borrowed money to buy it. You just sit there and you can't get rid of it. But they're um, very interesting as a concept and a completely different way of of speculating. Um, yeah, uh, I, I I often uh, joke with David that that um, uh, um, uh, sort of the, the philosophy we've always tried to look at NFTs as is a a way to leverage your Ethereum essentially. So so, so <laughs> sort of the the uh, uh, begin compounding Ethereum, and as, as as leverage also goes both ways, Johnny, as you well know, as a financial market practitioner. So, so uh, David's pointed out to me that it can also mean that you end up with a lot less Ethereum than than a lot more Ethereum by playing around with these things. But but I do I do yes. think that they're pretty interesting in a standalone way. And and from what you say, like I guess the whole. MetaLink philosophy is we're we're looking for assets that that are uncorrelated in different ways, and, and I think that's where NFTs sit in a very nice part of the portfolio. Because ironically, when when the price of Ethereum goes down, your uh, your NFTs become more liquid. So it's a because because NFTs are people are sort of thinking in dollars over nfts but they're being priced in ethereum so you actually end up being given liquidity at just the moment the market's dropping so i, I think there's a very interesting element uh that that nfts and altcoins as well play in in a in a diversified um DeFi and crypto portfolio okay I, I wanted to come on to that point in terms of um you know, if I'm if I'm being cynical, what, why do I need someone else to look after my sort of crypto exposure? Because I could just buy Bitcoin and Ethereum and they account for over 52 percent of the current capitalization of of cryptocurrencies that are out there. So so where why why do I need a professional fund manager to, um, you know, do I need to get involved in this yield farming stuff and staking and DeFi in general? It, it all sounds frightfully complicated. What, where's where's the value well, add you reckon, guys? Well, the first thing I'd say is is is, um, is my my experience, and we've had people uh, work with us in the past and give us money, and then they have gone and invested Bitcoin and Ethereum themselves, and it is a white knuckle ride. I can tell you that much. So so um, and sort of I'd have these people bringing me up at Bitcoin sixty k and going, should I buy more? Should I sell more? And like, well, <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and, and invariably people end up buying, uh, buying the peaks and, and selling the dips, which is, as you know, a disastrous uh, uh, investment strategy. So I think that the, um, and then where we look to do, use various different elements uh, of all the crypto portfolio with the stated goal of basically outperforming Bitcoin and Ethereum. Um, so, so I think you're 100% right that it is a valid strategy just to buy Bitcoin and Ethereum. But I think there's almost those are mature assets that, that by definition won't do as well as the new assets. And you're not leveraging the full capability of, of the likes of DeFi and the stable coins as well. And, and and mapping out where you can get um, 
returns that go that that can be made in all markets effectively. Right. Yeah, I think I think. Sorry, I would just add to that that you know the as they say the best time to plant a tree is twenty years ago. Um, getting into Bitcoin now, ten, you, you, you've you've you know to a certain extent missed the initial um, huge gains which were made like VC style gains. Um, so you really have to look to newer tokens to get any of those kind of returns. You're yeah. unlikely to see that on v- on on Bitcoin because all the big boys are already there and have already stocked up, as you can find on any website of institutional ownership. Okay, so it's it's, it's trying to find that the new opportunities that are using a similar technology, using crypto graphic technology, using blockchains. It's so the the base technology is the same, but they're being going to be used in a different way. Um, and and that's what you're trying to identify and spot. And to be fair, you, you you've been you've been. It's not like you're new to this area. You've been very modest, guys. I know I've known you both for a number of years, and you've been doing analysis and studying um, through your research company for a number of years. These these different topics. So what you're trying to do is, I suppose, bring that knowledge and experience into creating something where people can have a access to your knowledge and then management on an ongoing basis. I suppose. Yes, no, 100%. So we we uh, set up a leading analytics company in the field called Novum Insights. We've been tracking data on all sorts of decentralized exchanges from Uniswap to SushiSwap to uh, the the sort of major outs and, and their, their kind of performance. Uh, and so the, the, the Novum Insights analytics firm is in is provides research to the fund metal and capital and and we're we we think this provides us a significant edge not only in terms of um just having um like seven years of data-driven intelligence uh but also because we are we're pretty deeply embedded in 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 the wider crypto um DeFi world and and have seen a lot of things before and seen seen groups uh come up from meeting the founder to when they're running a 10 billion dollar protocol and 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 many of those and and we've we've on our we've previously also backed things like uh, various unicorns in the bitcoin mining uh field as well um so we're 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 pretty convinced we we can provide uh regular consistent interest in return okay brilliant james i i know we're cracking on with time any any particular thought that springs to mind while you've been sitting listening to us yickety yak on i'm just curious as to are they looking to act because it's a fund are you interested more so in acting as oversight or regulatory enforcers in a decentralized matter great question um so I, I think I think we're we're really just providing an easy way um, for people to participate in in DeFi and crypto who who aren't spending all day every day looking at how to participate in a DAO or or interact with Uniswap or this host of read contracts. All these things that. Uh, Need a, a much greater level of sophistication than than many many people who would love to be participants in in this new economy uh, want, right? Um, and I think I think the key 
is is we're we're aiming to provide them access and and a way for them to to sort of uh, feel the temperature of of this field without needing to be um, a developer or a uh, a frontier um, sort of investor um, themselves, right? So so it's it, and and I think we 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 see that there's huge demand from people just to go look. I, I I love this crypto thing. I love what it's like, but they want people who can help them uh, be navigated through that space. So you're opening the door proactively for the normal people of the world. A hundred percent. And and the good thing is, is we've been backed by deeply experienced crypto professionals as well. So I'd say what what we are because even they recognize they can't uh, keep pace on everything, right? Like like this week it's Solana, next week it's some niche blockchain like Stats, um, Chainlink and how it's tying up. Uh, many, many crypto enthusiasts don't have much, much time to go beyond what's going on in, in Bitcoin and Ethereum. And even then, uh, the, the level of understanding that you need to understand uh, what's been going on with, say, the Ethereum merge is, 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 is pretty hard, even for seasoned people who've been deeply exposed to crypto. So I think, I think that there's just a recognition that specialism can help you do better in, in, in navigating crypto. You see why I get all hyped up, Johnny? This is one of those value <laughs> add ones. This isn't a board aid. Yeah. These are the guardians I, of the galaxy in the crypto world. Yeah. Just, I, just, just one point that I'd, I'd like to sort of, um, I suppose I, I'd like to add to that, Toby. And I know we've spoken about this before. And, and that is, I, I see there's a lot of correlation between crypto and smaller company investing. And many, many institutions get their exposure to smaller companies through specialist smaller company funds. Um, and, you know, I think increasingly we're going to see more and more crypto funds giving specialist exposure to this specialist area. So, you know, I, I, without a doubt, the tr this is the way the trends are going to go. But it's um, no, re really interesting. Thank you for coming on the show. And we will definitely get you back um, in, in, you know, in a few months time and see, you know, what, what have you found to be some of the, the, the challenges, what, what some of the some of the good things about sort of managing the portfolio. But um, good good luck. And um, as I say, if anyone would like to um, get hold of you, what's the best way, David or Toby? How do how do they best get hold of you on LinkedIn or website? If you can perhaps just let let the listeners know. I think it's on uh, on LinkedIn is fine. Or there's info at Novum Insights, or there's even a metalinkcapital.com uh, website if you want to get in touch on that side. Brilliant. So it's metalinkcapital.com? Uh, yeah. Fantastic. Okay. Toby, David, thank you very much. James, that's an another another show. Thank you very much for everything you've done. And um, we'll be back on the airwave soon. Always thank a pleasure, much. Johnny. Thanks, James. Yeah. And you too, James.